Amen. Right on. So excited to jump into week three of our four-week series called Basic. Um, I want to share a few things with you that I think many of us probably know, uh, but it's good for us to talk about again. You saw that a lot of times in Scripture where you know they would say, hey, I'm, I'm writing you to remind you of this. It's good that we talk about it again. And uh, the term I want to talk about today is uh, a word that we use in church. Many of you have probably heard it if you grew up in church. If you haven't, I'll explain it in a minute. But it's this word called evangelism. Uh, it's a big part of being a Christian. Uh, and when I say it's one of our basics, I don't want to downplay that because it's a very strong and powerful thing. Um, it's a very important thing. I mean, if I were to say that gasoline is pretty a basic part of your car, you wouldn't see it as not important. <laughs> it is very important. You're not getting very far without the gasoline. So even though it's pretty basic, you put gas in. Uh, it's the same thing with some of these basics. Like, yeah, they're, they're very fundamental, but they're a huge part of everything we do. Amen? And that's the deal with evangelism. Like evangelism as Christians needs to be a part of what we do. It is an active part of being a Christ follower and someone who strives to live the way God created us to live. Uh, many of you who grew up in church, you may have heard of evangelism and thought of it as the guy who stands on a box down at the stadium and yells at people about how football is bad. And uh, if that's in East Lansing, that's true, you know. But, uh, and so maybe for you, evangelism has been like, uh, maybe minimized all the way down to like passing out a track or uh, you've just maybe seen it done wrong. But evangelism really is witnessing. You know, evangelism is, is just living in a way that you're wit you're being a witness unto, and we'll talk about it more in a minute, but it's just you're living a lifestyle uh, that, that is a witness unto the glory of God, unto the, the work of who God is. Amen. And so there's a couple ways, you know, we'll talk about what it looks like, but uh, to be a witness is one in your lifestyle conduct, but also in how you approach people and you share about the gospel and the goodness of God. And so uh, evangelism is important. And uh, unfortunately, that word has kind of got wrapped into a political party. And so it's it, it's almost becoming one of those words that is like a trigger point for people. Um, you heard a lot in the political uh, season that we were in, you heard the term evangelicals. And it kind of got wrapped into a, a thing. Um, and so I don't really want to get in here and be like, oh, you know, start to make it political. I want us to understand just the idea of witnessing, sharing the gospel, evangelizing. And uh, here's what the Webster Dictionary says about it. It's evangelism is the spreading of the Christian gospel by publicly preaching or personal witness. The spreading of the Christian gospel by public preaching or personal witness. The problem that we're seeing in our culture is we do one part of this really well. We believe to reach people and change the world, people need to come and hear public preaching. Like if we just get people to church, they'll be evangelized and they'll, they'll see witness and they'll, and they'll go to heaven and, and we make it all about church. And that's actually not the design of the New Testament. The design of the New Testament is more the other part. It's more about how uh, reaching people and evangelizing people comes through our daily personal witnessing. Amen. Church was actually just meant to be the place that we come to during the week and we celebrate all the personal witness that took place in our community. Amen. We come together, we cheer one another on. And so it shouldn't be boiled down to just church is where people get evangelized. It should be happening in our daily lives and out in our communities. Amen. And so when I thought about just kind of where we are in life and with all of the things happening in our communities and in our culture, uh, it got me thinking about this. Uh, we, and you've heard me say this before, we in America have never had bigger homes than we have now. The average square footage size of a home is bigger than it's ever been. 
Uh, we've never had more advanced cars and bigger sized cars and more cars on the road and more technology in cars than we've ever had than right now. You have more channels, you have more on your TV, you have more options of travel than you've ever had before in America. You have more songs to access, more movies. You have more of everything than in human history has ever had, except for, check this out, you have the most, you're the most blessed you've ever been, except for we have all-time rate suicides. We have all-time high rate addictions. We have all-time high rate overdoses. You now see all-time rate mass shootings. We have an all-time high rate statistic of uh, homes without fathers raising the children. So on one hand, you're more blessed, you're more taken care of, you're more uh, equipped than you've ever been in human history. And over here, there's a cry of people saying, it's not enough, I'm not happy, I'm not taken care of, it's not enough. We got a big problem, right? And we've all heard this said before, if you grew up in church, they say, well, inside your heart, there's a God-shaped hole. And until that hole is filled, you won't be satisfied, right? We've all heard that. And there's truth to that. You're so blessed. You're so taken care of. But until you find the freeing message of the gospel, you won't be happy. Amen? And so what happens in there? Well, what needs to happen in there is evangelism. People need to know that the body of Christ, the message of Jesus, is the hope of the world. Uh, Bill Hybels, the pastor at Willow Creek in Chicago, says uh, that the body of Christ, so not the church, us, the body of Christ, is the hope of the world. It's not the government. It's not the after-school program. It's not the this. It's not the that. The hope of the world is when the body of Christ takes its place that it's called to be, and it shares the gospel with those who need to hear it. Amen? That's the hope of the world. Uh, evangelism, one of the um, descriptions of it is zealous advocacy for a cause. It didn't say people, uh, evangelism is people who put a bumper sticker on a car or reshare a thing on Facebook. It's people who are passionate, who are zealous, who are about a thing. Amen? But sadly, in America, we see that people, the average American Christian, only shares the gospel one time a year with somebody else. So I'm not saying, you know, hey, you taught a Sunday school lesson. I'm saying you've witnessed to somebody about what God is doing in your life. Only one, So out of 365 days a year, only one time, the average American is saying something about the good news of God. It's not enough, amen? It's not enough. You see, statistically, the number one all-time selling, best-selling book in nonfiction category is a book by Pastor Rick Warren called The Purpose Driven Life. Why? Because people want to know, why am I here? What's my purpose? What is this all about? And if the gospel, if Jesus is the good news, if it's the way to live, then how many know we have the answer for them? Amen. And so you got these people saying, I have this craving, this desire, this want to know what is this God-shaped hole in my heart? What's my purpose? Well, we are called to be a people who go and tell them it. Amen. So as I was thinking about this week, and just the things that we saw with the shootings and with the different things taking in place, uh, the truth is we don't have an underscore fill-in-the-blank problem in America. We don't have a gun problem. We don't have a mental illness problem. We don't have a fill-in-the-blank problem that everybody gets so hate-filled about. What, what we have is an evangelism problem. The problem that we have in America is that people aren't telling people about Jesus. People aren't telling people that we have the hope of the world. Amen. Now, I'll clear this up a little bit. 
There's some things we could do better with guns. There's some things we could do better in helping people get the psychiatric care that they need. I'm not saying those things aren't real issues. But what I am saying is that my Bible says that there's a blood that can cover all things. Amen. So, so, so what we need to do, what we need to do is be a people who take this message, this hope of the world, this gospel that's called the good news. We need to take that. We need to share it. We need to witness it. We, we need to let people witness it in our lives. Amen. People need Jesus, and we aren't telling them. You know, if you grew up in church, a preacher would come in and be like, well, people need Jesus. You just need to get Jesus. And it was like real canned. Uh, it's like, well, what does that mean? Where is he? He's not at my Walmart. I don't know where to get him. Like people need, and I feel like the same way. Like most of my message today is like, people need Jesus. But you know what I'm saying? Like people need to know that it's not Dr. Phil. It's not a blog on the internet. It's not any of these self-help things. People need Jesus. There's not any reform we can put in. There's not anything of policy and this and that. All of that stuff is helpful. We should be intelligent. And the scripture says that God does give direction to those who lead countries. Uh, despite it being uh, uh, made fun of this week, uh, I do believe that God can speak to government leaders and instruct them how to lead a nation. Amen. And if that's called an illness, I'm fine with that illness. Amen. So I believe in those things. I believe in policies and things put in place that help us lead. But what we need is we need an encounter with a real God who transforms our life and helps us live differently. Amen. And the truth is about your life is you were wired to be somebody who changes the world and makes a difference. Do you know why movies like the Black Panther and Marvel and Spider-Man and all those fake weird movies that you guys watch, Star Wars? All you weirdos at Disney walking over to Star Wars. And I was like, hey, can you, I got, can you cut that with that lightsaber? Show me how that works. Oh, oh it doesn't work? Because it's all fake, weird Star Wars stuff. And people get on me about watching wrestling. But I can go watch somebody fall off a turnbuckle and he's really laying on the ground, right? I don't see anybody get cut in half with a saber. No? You guys aren't going there with me? Hashtag, end these Star Wars, bring our troops home, stormtroopers home. Okay, well. But here's the truth. God created you. You're literally wired to be a hero, to be an overcomer. That's why you get excited when you hear and see stories and watch movies where you go from dark to light and you go from stolen to brought back and from uh, behind the eight ball to victory. Why are these movies? The, because God wired you to be a person who overcomes. Amen. You're a victor. You're somebody who can see victory. We don't have to look at these headlines and be like, oh, we're going to lose and we're going to... No, God can redeem and restore. And the truth is your inside gets excited about that. Amen? Because you're wired to be that hero. You can't wake up one day and say, oh, today's the day I'm going to save someone from a burning building. I'm going to save somebody from a car crash. But you've heard me say it before. Every day you can wake up and say, today I'm going to save somebody spiritually who's hurting. I'm going to witness to somebody. I'm going to pray for somebody. I'm going to give an ear to listen to somebody this week. Why? Because you want to save them. You want to be that hero to them spiritually. Amen? That's evangelism. That's witnessing. That's sharing the good news of God with somebody. Amen? But it takes strategy. Uh, Jesus knew when he approached uh, the disciples and they're fishing and he's talking to them about being a follower. And he says, hey, I can make you fishers of men. Well, they knew that meant, oh, that takes strategy. They were professional. They knew that there was ways you go about it. There's things that you do in it. There's strategy. There, it needs to be on your mind is what I'm trying to say. 
And it's the same thing as Jesus called us to be fishers of men going out and reaching people. You got to think about it in your day. You got to wake up. You got to strategize it. You got to pay attention to who you're around and when it's time. Amen. I just wonder about that young man who, who uh, shot up that school in Florida this year. I just wonder if maybe there were some Christians in his life. Maybe some people that were around him that if they had maybe paid a little bit better attention, they strategized it, they, 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 they thought about who they could evangelize and who they could listen to and who they could pray for. I just wonder if maybe the story could be different. If we weren't so busy and we weren't so distracted, maybe if we went out with this mindset of today, I'm going to be a fisher of men and I'm going to share the good news of God. I just wonder, amen, what it could be. Uh, I've shared this with you before that anytime you leave for something uh, you share like the most important information before you leave. You just double down on what's most important. So if you have a babysitter or if you have someone watching your house, you give them the whole rundown of everything. And then at the end, you say, oh, and just I got to tell you again, right before I leave, I just make sure this. And then you tell them the important thing. And that's what Jesus did before he ascends into heaven. He says this. He says, listen, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be with my father. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit, which is like a cheat code in life. I mean, if you think about it, he's like, listen, you're going to get the Holy Spirit. It's going to be a helper, a comforter. Uh, it's going to be even better than having me here because you're going to have the Holy Spirit. And so here's your cheat code. You can win it all of life with him. Amen. And then he says, I'm going to go up to heaven. And so, but before I go, let me tell you this last thing, which is the most important thing. And what is that thing? It's go into all the world and witness and reach and love people. Amen. But how is it possible then that we only one time a year do the thing that he told us is really important to do? Amen. Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Who do we need to witness to? Everyone. Everyone. It's like, oh, I don't know who to. I don't. Well, it says everyone, all creation. Amen. Matthew 28, 19, we heard it last week. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. The things that he's commanded us to do is like this. Hey, uh, do it this way. Don't do it that way. That, that way is not going to turn out good. It's better if you do it this way. That's what we're telling people. We're not getting on a soapbox and going, God hates you and you're going to hell because you're a sinner. No, we're teaching them the ways that God has commanded us, which is like this. It's like, hey, man, you know what? I used to do it like that. And I messed a whole bunch of stuff up. And then God came into my life and I saw a few of his commands and some of the things that he taught me and I started doing it this way. And it's so much better. And your life can be so much better. Amen. That's witnessing. That's evangelizing. Amen. And so that's what he's called us to do is be a people who go out and do that. If you think about our area, does our area need it? When we came here to plant this church, they teased us like, oh, really? You're planting a church in Grand Rapids? Isn't that like Jerusalem, GR, like Jerusalem, but GR, Jerusalem? There's so many churches in that area. But here's the truth about our area. Post-Christian category, according to the Barner Research Group, so ranking all the cities in our nation, the United States, Grand Rapids, post-Christian means they once had a Christian experience in their life, they were a Christian, they were part of a church, and then they've decidedly walked away. A post-Christian uh, category, Grand Rapids ranks 60th in the nation of people who've walked away, uh, and that's 33% of our almost 1 million population. So in a 30-mile radius, if we have a million people, 33% of those people once were a part of a church and decided to walk away. The other category is churchless, people who've never had an experience with church. They were never raised in it, connected to it. They weren't vitally connected to it. Uh, we come in at 46th in the nation uh, in our 1 million uh, radius population. 
36%. So we have a 33% of our population, 36% of our population. They say if you put those two numbers together and kind of uh, pick like a little less. So for us, if we put those numbers together, 33 and 36, let's just call it 50%. That means a half a million people in our 30 mile radius need us to do what? Evangelize them, witness them, tell them the good news of God. Amen? Everybody needs it. It's our call to go out and share it with everybody. Amen? So as I thought about the week, and I thought about school shootings and uh, the acts that we see all the way back to Vegas and uh, just some of the agenda that's happening in culture and the the hate-filled riots and anger and just all the pain that we see, uh, I sit there and I think to myself, how do we get here? You know, how did we get here? What is this about? Like, how is this happening? And the truth of it this morning is, it's your fault and it's my fault. You have no right to get upset about what you see. Uh, I said this even at election time too, as frustrated as we were uh, with the candidates that we had and the things that were happening and the stuff that was uh, being said and the headlines and is this person doing this and is this person doing this? And we were so outraged, uh, we needed to come to a realization that they actually represented our culture very well. Amen. And the truth is what we see and the pain and the destruction and the, and the damage and all of the stuff, the truth is we've allowed it. The truth is in our culture, it really just represents a part of where we are because it's in our movies, it's in our music, it's in our video games. What we see like this is in our language. It's in the way that we're dishonest to people. It's the way that we lie about things at our job. We lie about uh, places that we are and, and things that we are with people. It's a great representation of how we we are excuse-filled. It's a great representation of how we're greedy, how we've built a selfie culture. Everything's about me. Look at me. I got it all put together. I'm not here to talk against selfies. I'm not here to talk about uh, against rated R movies or music. But when those things become the majority of your infilling, we're doing it wrong. You can't fill yourself up with those things and expect those things not to come back out. Amen? And so if the majority of your infilling is the things of God, the kingdom of God, you'll get the kingdom of God. But when you fill yourselves in your movie theaters and your billboards and all of that stuff is filled with that, what do you expect to come out? These kinds of actions, it's our fault that we see what we see. And you want to know partly why it's our fault is because as a church and as a body of Christ, we aren't doing a good job telling people that there's a better way. We aren't evangelizing a world that needs to know that there's a Jesus and there's a hope to this world. Amen. We're living like animals. We take what we want, when we want it, we go where we want, we say what we want, we do what we want, and we just, it's, it's dog eat dog. We take and we get, and, we, and then we don't understand why we're left with destruction. But Jesus' way says things like this, deny yourself and take up your cross. You want to be a follower of me? You want to be somebody who does it my way? Not only deny yourself and your selfish desires and your wills and your want-tos, not only deny, but at the same time, come over here and pick up sacrifice. Amen? So, hey, you don't get to do it all way, your selfish way, your own way. You don't get to do it all for yourself. But on top of that, come over here and pick up a way to sacrifice for others. We get so upset when somebody says, you just can't do it this way. I can't tell me what to do, blah, 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 blah. Judging me, oh, judging me. Judge, uh, right? I'm over here saying, I'm, I'm, I'm judging you. I'm not. The Bible, no, I, I don't. 
I'm over here saying, yeah, not only this, but also this. Amen. So he says, deny yourself and take up your cross. And then we hear prayers in the Bible like this of God, I must decrease so you can increase. If I'm going to witness properly, if I'm going to evangelize the way that I need to, if I'm going to display your work in my life unto your glory, then I got to get rid of some me to make more room of you. I need to de decrease so you can increase. That's how we evangelize. That's how we solve these issues is we show them more of the way to live. Amen. Where it gets interesting is, as I said, uh, you, we don't, I'm not going to say you because I'm going to jump in the category. We don't have the right to get upset about what we see. Because if we believe that the body of Christ is the hope of the world, if we believe that it's the answer, if we believe that it's the good news, then why don't we support it in America? Statistically, the church is grossly undersupported. The body of Christ is grossly undersupported. We see uh, it's undersupported. The, the other thing that we see is it's underprayed for. You've heard me say statistically that uh, people spend more time in a day preparing their food than they do praying. People spend more time in a day putting in, uh, putting, taking care of their cosmetics. So deodorant, brush your teeth, putting yourself together. We spend more time doing that than we do praying. So we're all upset about what we see, but yet you've underprayed for your community. Well, well, this happened because you took prayer out of school. Well, what are you so mad about? You took prayer out of your life. You're mad at the school and you haven't been praying. Amen. <laughs> I just came back from the happiest place in the world and you can tell. But let's just be real about it. We just clicking and sharing and angry and mad and prayer this and prayer. And statistically, we don't even pray in our homes, in our private places. Amen. The other thing we don't do is we under attend. We under attend church. Statistically, the average American only goes to church every other week, which means if you go to a church like this, you maybe have an hour long church service. So if you go every other week, you're getting about 25 hours of church in your life. Well, statistically, they say you consume about 50 hours in one week of social media. So in one year, you get 25 hours of church. And in one week, you consume more social media. You double. What do you think you're being influenced by? It's not the kingdom of God. It's your social media. Amen? We're underattended. Another big one is we're underfunded. The national average says that the average American church only receives 3% of the average American's tithe. So if God calls us to give 10%, the average church is seeing 3%. That's national. So that means God's bride, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, what we believe to be the hope of the world, which has the good news and the gospel, that means it's missing 70% of its resources. Do you know that statistically, if the national average American gave 10% of their resources to a church, we'd be able to end world hunger? Yeah, so, so think about it. We're all upset that culture's got to this, and it's, gone. it's because we've given away our platforms. We're letting other people make those decisions and be in places, whereas if the church was equipped and supported and prayed for and attended and resourced, we'd be able to be the ones leading. Maybe that's why the Scripture said we'd be the head and not the tail. Amen? And I'm going to say this, what I said earlier. I believe God won't give you what you're not ready to handle. And unfortunately, in America, there's too many churches not built with healthy financial structures that if 
God did give them the rest, the 70%, they'd use it improperly. Amen? That's why you need to get to a church like this and go to a class like our interest meeting and you can see where our bylaws are, see how our structures work, how legally we're literally structured to be a maximum output church. Somebody say amen. And so uh, that's a big deal. If the body of Christ, the hope of the world, and other ministries like that, missionaries, things like that, if we're missing 70% of our resources, no wonder we've given our platforms to other things. What if the church had the answer for welfare and immigration and refugees? What if it didn't matter about how government was handling that? We just had missionaries in places and things in structure where we could be that answer. I think it would be a great witness and a great way to evangelize the world. Amen? We're also under-encouraged, talking about each other, backbiting, calling each other, talking negatively. Oh, they played this song. I don't like that song. I don't like those colors. What is that, supposed to be a harp or a string? What are they doing up there? <laughs> Nobody's played it. I've been here for three weeks. No one's played them. <laughs> Just waiting for someone to play that. <laughs> Spend so much time talking negative about the church and the body of Christ. And uh, amen? Amen. <laughs> so think about this if the body of Christ the hope of the world God's plan for people is under supported under prayed for under attended under funded under encouraged why are we surprised that our world is under attack why are we surprised that our culture is being attacked amen we got to do better sharing the hope of the world and telling people that there's a better way and the truth is, it's not the church's job to fix it. You've heard me say this before. Ephesians 5.16 says, we are to redeem the times because the days are evil. I'm paraphrasing. But it says, basically, we are, the, we are the people who are called to redeem the time because the days are evil. Didn't say the pastor's going to do it. Didn't, didn't, didn't say even the Lord is going to come down and do it. Said, we the people with God with us are called to redeem these times because the days are evil. That's a privilege and an honor that God has chosen you to be those people. You have a great opportunity right now, amen? The word redeem in the Greek is the word kairo, kairos moment, which means this, a window of opportunity, a small moment in time, open a second, then gone, a glimpse. It's a kairos moment. I believe, like I said about that, being people who are strategic fishermen, I believe maybe that young man, maybe a Christian was in his life who, who missed his kairos moment didn't pay attention or didn't take that extra time to make a connection. We have to be so conscious that God is calling us to redeem the times because the days are evil, but we only have moments. Take the extra moment to pray for somebody or to stop and listen to somebody at work and tell them that there's a better way. Amen. Culture is saying, look at this mess. God invites us to redeem this mess. It's an honor that you were born for such a time as this. I'm not scared about the headlines because I believe, and I've seen in scripture, the worse they get, the more God moves. You have a great opportunity to be a part of something. Let's start sharing it. Amen. That's why the book of Acts chapter one, verse eight says, but you will receive power. It didn't say you're going to receive some good catchphrases or you're going to get a Christian t-shirt. It says you're going to have a difference maker. You're going to have power. You're going to have that boldness. You're going to get that ability to go out and witness and evangelize. When? When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. You'll be people who evangelize and witness and speak unto the glory of God. Amen? 
So I find ourselves in this story in John chapter 20, verse 19. We can all relate to this. This is where Jesus is crucified. He's buried for three days. And the disciples at this time, you know, they've, they've all denied him. They've all turned their back on him. They've all given up on this, right? So they're not bold. They're not proclaiming. They're uh, actually in a very like what's happened in this time. And so what you see here in the scripture, it says that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders or people of their culture were talking negatively of Christians or talking negatively of hearing from God or talking negatively about our moral stance and what we believe. And so they decide they're going to meet behind locked doors. Isn't it interesting that a lot of the ways we evangelize and the way that we witness is also behind church doors? Isn't that interesting? We find ourselves in the same place of, hey, let's just do it at church or just do it at Bible study or just do it uh, around other Christians behind locked doors. But then an interesting thing happens is the scripture says at the end of this verse, it says, suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then what's amazing about after this is immediately after this Jesus encounter, Peter and John start preaching and they go from hiding behind doors to getting into the community in front of people of 3,000 to 5,000 people. And they're not just saying, oh, hey, Jesus loves you. Love wins. Here's a bumper sticker. They're saying, repent of your sins, like change from your ways. They're preaching with an extreme boldness. Why? Because they had an encounter with God. I wonder if a lot of times we are limited in our witness because we aren't encountering times of God enough in our life. We are hiding behind the church door or hiding behind the Bible study door instead of asking God to come and speak and say, peace, I'm with you, I'm, amen. So at the time, the high priest is all annoyed with how they're working and how this is all going down. And so they start to question about, hey, what gives you the right to do this? And what makes you think you have the power and authority to talk like this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, the same Peter who denied and hid and scared and ran, all of a sudden is real sticking his chest out there, real excited, real bold about some things. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, that's the power of the Holy Spirit for him to be a witness, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Don't you just love like the almost cocky boldness here of like, hey, you got an issue with us healing this guy? Would you like to know how that happened? <laughs> Let me clearly state to all of you and all the people of Israel, he's mic dropping, right? He was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ of, the Na of Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. So he goes from hiding and behind closed doors and all of this, and then all of a sudden, an experience, a moment, a word from God gives him a boldness to be able to go out, stick his chest out, and witness in a way that's like, hey, I've got the untouchable, untouchable, raised from the dead thing on my side. There's nothing that can hinder what God is doing. Amen. Do you know you still have the same God who is raised from the dead on your side? Do you know that you still have the same ability to stick your chest out and be bold and be able to share about the miraculous healing power of our God? We speak boldly about what we believe deeply is the truth. I wonder if we don't witness because we don't believe it deeply. You speak boldly about what you believe deeply. Uh, many of you know my wife uh, is pregnant again. And so with that comes a lot of the moms, bless your hearts, um, who have opinions about like what you should buy. And then they tell her, and then I have to sit and listen to it as if I care about a swing or a swaddle or whatever. Um, we have a floor, and you just put them on the floor, and we have a golden retriever, and they're good caretakers, and um, we're fine, you know? 
I've seen the Jungle Book. I think it's fine. <laughs> but these people who care so deeply about their baby items preferences, they speak very boldly about what they believe. Oh, you've got to go get the da, 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 the swing. If you get that swing and they're in it this many hours, they're guaranteed to be the next first female president. I'm like, wow. And they're real passionate about it. You know, sports teams, fanatics, they're like, they speak very boldly about what they care deeply. And so Eagles fans are tearing down their city and being crazy. And I rebuke you. And then uh, <clears throat> stealing from Tom Brady. It's like taking the Ark of the Covenant. God. Get them right. Um, but they speak deeply. They're passionate. They're uh, Why? Because they, they, they speak boldly because they care deeply. Uh, Disney World, we just got back from, and it's a place that, uh, I'll be careful with kids in the room how I say this, but you're going to know what I'm saying. So um, it's all fantasy. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> There's not much legitimacy to that. And uh, yet it was still a $92 billion corporation. People flooding that place and wearing shirts of the mouse and the goofy and the everything else. And kids with their dresses and everybody doing their thing. $92 billion worth of fantasy craziness. My wife got jewelry of a fantasy thing. Like we paid money to get a thing of something that's fantasy. Like I got a Mickey Mouse tattoo this week because <laughs> some of you are like, he might have. He's kind of crazy about it. <laughs> but then people act. I didn't for the record. <laughs> But then people are timid about sharing the best news in all of human history. We can flood parks with all this fantasy and be excited and passionate about that. But then when it's like you have the best news in all of human history, we're going to be a little bit careful. We don't want people to think we're weird. It's a book, the Bible, that stood the test of time for all of human history. There's nothing more uh, stood the test of time than the Bible. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I might, people might think we're weird. Well, go to Disney and be weird with them. Like, that's why I go. So then Peter goes on in verse 12. It says, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. They were impressed with their boldness because they could tell they had experience with Jesus. They were impressed with their boldness because they could tell they were people who had experience with Jesus. I'll say it to you like this, one more Disney example. When you're down at Disney and all the craziness is happening and you're trying to figure out what to do and how to do it, the people that you look for is the people who are like the Disney pro, the most experienced. And so you look at them and you're like, oh man, they know what they're doing. And uh, I'm amazed by their boldness and their ability to like, go do this. Let's go with them. Let's follow what they're doing. Why? They're able to be bold because they have the experience of Disney. How I many you know our world is looking to be able to look at us and go, hey, look at their boldness. Look at their lifestyle. Look at their witness. I'm going to go with them because you can tell that that's legit. Amen. It should be. That's how we witness is that your life. It's so obvious that you're walking and living in the ways of God that people go, let's do that because look at the result in that life. Amen. He said that they were amazed by the disciples' boldness, for they could tell that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. God was using ordinary, regular, unschooled people. The translation of ordinary here would actually be where we get the word idiot. So God is into using some idiots. 
and I'm not here to call you an idiot, but if we interviewed a few of your friends, they might also look at your former life and be like, look at that guy. He really used to be an idiot. Now he's got boldness and experience, and God's really done a work in his life. Amen? But the enemy is telling you, oh, no, you used to be such an idiot. You messed up so much. God can't use you. But that's not the truth here. God says, hey, you know what? Ordinary, unskilled, not put together. I can redeem that, work with that. Spending time with God can make a difference in that. Amen? I'll close with this. My wrap-up is this. I get it that witnessing is challenging. And the truth is, witnessing uh, is very easily shut down. You know, you try to witness, you try to take a stand, and somebody's got that, the Bible's not real. It's a book of fairy tales. And that's why we do a class like The Basics, is try to give you some information to be able to witness and evangelize and share. And so I get it that many times you're going to try to take a step and you're going to receive rejection. But you got to remember the scripture that promises that in life, some water, some plant, and then some see the harvest. You don't know when you take that step, even if you face rejection, you don't know what that's going to eventually do somewhere else down the road. Amen? So there's a couple of scriptures that I thought are real relevant to how we feel uh, when it comes to witnessing and taking a step. Acts 4.29 says, And now, O Lord, hear their threats, and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. This is a time where they were still arresting Christians for preaching. And it's saying, like, look, God, my prayer here is like, I need boldest for preaching your word because it's kind of crazy out here. Can we make a cake, not make a cake? I don't know what's going to happen. What are we going to go to jail for? I don't really, God, but give me boldness to witness. I think that's a prayer that actually still lives in our days. Amen. Then I love this part about Jesus, which I think also has to do with evangelism. Mark 10, 29. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied. So this is Jesus. Truly, I tell you. I love that it even says, truly, I tell you. Like, look, truly, I tell you. Like, take this one to the bank. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecution, persecution, and in the age to come, eternal life. Saying it like this. I'll make it like really simple. None of you who take some extra time at your lunch break to witness to somebody, anyone who does that, God's like, look, truly I tell you, you're going to get a reward for that in this age a hundred times, right? And then also like, oh, you take some time to serve in your church. I got you on that too. I got your back in that. Anytime you take a step for the sake of the gospel, whatever it may cost you, I'm going to make sure you get it back a hundred times. Amen? But he does say there's going to be persecutions. You're going to fail at it. That's what we do is we try, we get rejected, and then we quit. He said, no, persecution is going to come. You're going to fail. To me, it was the greatest scene in the movie, The Passion of the Christ. I know there's the crucifixion and all the stuff that he went through, but the scene where he gathers up disciples and he says, hey, there's no servant greater than their master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Just the reality of like, if it happened to Jesus, we're going to have a hardship too. But just remember, in this lifetime and in the age to come, God's got your back every time you take a step to witness for his gospel. Amen? Let's evangelize. Let's love on people. Let's reach some people. Let's take back our platforms by being the body of Christ that we're called to be. Amen?